Hello and welcome back to JLXP episode 90, but the first Emily episode of 2023. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. I know every time you're on, we get a ton of of positive uh-huh. comments in, in JLXP for Emily. So thanks for joining once again. This was a, a, a pretty surprising, I'd say, day. Uh, overall, a few surprises in the week. For those of you who didn't watch everything, a quick rundown of the actual standings now is there's four 2-0 teams, Cloud9, but then CLG and TSM are both 2-0. FlyQuest is also 2-0, looked incredibly dominant with their pair of Korean imports. 100 Thieves and EG are sitting at 1-1, and then the winless teams are Dignitas, Golden Guardians, Immortals. And then for me, because I put them third in my power rankings, shockingly Team Liquid at 0-2. So we're going to we're going to talk about the majority of these teams. We're not going to talk about all of them, but let's just get into it on the 2-0 stories. And I think the most surprising one, considering I put them 10th, you put them 9th or 10th in your... I'm 9th. Yeah. Yeah. Could, could still happen. It's not like saying they were going to be there right off the bat, but immediately the 2-0 is... A pretty exceptional start beating Immortals, but more importantly, Team Liquid today. What are your hot takes or even just normal takeaways from the two that they had? It's interesting. I went back and I don't know if you saw it actually, but Azale talked to a bunch of the coaches in the LCS and kind of wrote down like their thoughts yeah. on the team. Yeah. Um, and I, I went back and I read TSMs because I couldn't remember what Charlie had said. Because the big thing for me in looking at this roster is I was like, okay, I'm still not really sure in my head how this works. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of like, what was the goal behind picking up the players or on the lineup? Um, And this is what Chai told Azale. He said, like, as you know, uh, this is, they can't spend a ton of money. Um, They understand that they have to take things slow. And the thing they really want to focus on and they kind of would want from like a broadcast perspective, because obviously this is talking about like, what should we bring up on, on broadcast when we're talking mm-hmm. about these players? Um, uh, he was like, I think as a team and then as narratives, we can focus on Neo and Boogie because these are two players that people don't know. They're not big names or and they haven't necessarily had good results in the past, but they're really eager to prove themselves. And he did say that that was kind of the thing he wanted from every player that was picked for this lineup. They, he just wanted that kind of like hunger and eager to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, he said, watch out for our, our boogie plus maple combo too. Um, I yeah. definitely think we saw that end part. Uh, I did want to touch on boogie because I, I brought this up on broadcast, yeah. but I'll also call myself out as well because my only familiarity with him previously was in kind of like this really quick focused study of international like teams at international competition right yep um and i believe yeah so both times he has been at international uh competition in msi 2019 and then at worlds 2020 i was actually not on the broadcast um Mm. so even though i was doing deep dive on these teams I i wasn't really presenting their stories to like a massive audience because no one reads and uh <laughs> so um i think the the cool thing about boogie is that like the elise for example is very much his style yes. like when i was kind of rehashing what he had done in 
LJL a little bit more recently. Yeah, with, for those uh, you don't know, he was a Korean import, but he played yeah. so many years in the LJL. Yeah. He, I mean, he started in the LJL and then went to LMS and then went back to LJL and then was actually in LLA most recently um, and then now is in the LCS. Yeah. Um. Actually, while he was in LCS, a fun kind of fact about him is that his ID was like my dream LCS when he was trying to climb to rank one in yeah, NA. Yeah. He uh, was, well, yeah, that's actually yeah. a thing. When I was on Team Liquid uh, as a coach, he was, that was his like moment of like, oh yeah, oh, that, that's Boogie, by the way. Like he's a, he's a Latin American player because he was just constantly basically camping in rank one. Um, so that is kind of a cool story if his name was my dream LCS and I was on TSM actually winning. Yeah, I feel like the only, the only reason LCS fans would know him would be A, from like champ, Champ Q, maybe, but then mm-hmm. B, um, obviously he did beat uh, TL in groups at MSI 2019. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, but yeah, like I think um, the Elise was very much his style. I was actually tracking his timings down to bot and it's like, oh, he's down there at 253. Oh, he's down there at 355. Oh, he's down there at 505. Yeah. Um, and obviously this isn't, you know, you these are things you kind of expect. Yeah, and that was from in the Immortals East game end. when he played Elise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this is in the in like first game that we saw him in. But I was struck by like, I think, I do think River is a is a better jungler in my opinion, and mm. I think his intro into the LCS in lock in tournament was uh, showed a little bit more of like his understanding of the game and stuff. But the actions reminded me a bit of that, where he's obviously with this team like. Communication probably isn't like through the roof yet for them. Um, but talking to uh, to Chime, it was pretty interesting how he said that he and Boogie are really trying to work on their communication, mm-hmm. um, especially in a situation like that where he is going to be kind of trying to visit that pushing lane because he has to get stuff done early on the Elise uh, because she falls off late. And then um, they had the pushing lane of Lucian Nami. Yeah. I, I thought it was cool. Like, I'm not going to say he, he didn't make mistakes. I'm not going to say TSM didn't make mistakes yep. because there, that early game plan actually didn't work out if you mm-hmm. look at what actually happened in the game. But I liked, I liked the small notes of, like, understanding I saw from this team. And, like, when Immortals did make mistake, the mistakes that ended up costing them the game in that, in that specific game, I thought TSM were really good in organizing their team fighting so they could punish it. Um, so that was really, it was pretty cool to see and definitely something that was completely unexpected for me. Yeah, for me, I really had extremely low expectations for the TSM team, mainly because of, and this might sound bad, but the general aura that TSM has carried for the last year oh, and no. a half. There's so many people that do love talking bad about TSM, but it was just really hard to be positive about them. And there is a good angle of getting players that are going to be incredibly hungry because you need to be incredibly hungry when you know you're actually not in the best situation. And even saying that they didn't, like it's so against the old TSM ethos of not spending a lot of money, right? They were an embarrassment last year and then they put together a roster, which on paper didn't look great, but to perform in week one, I think must feel really good. And I'm very curious to see how much they can maintain because that was the thing that I, I just had such low expectations when they beat Immortals. I'm like, oh, okay. Like was that, that happens. Like someone's got to win. The, the team liquid win for me was a lot better. Uh, 
there is also a, an element that I say, like, if they play that game 10 times, I think they win four or five. Like, Chimes, Arrows, incredibly on point. They punished Summit amazingly well every time he was over-aggressive. And the Maple Boogie thing actually was really good. So if that's something that can be maintained, I think this team will have a lot more hope. But for me, yeah, that's the that's the biggest surprise. And they play EG and 100 Thieves next week, which is what's going to be... That's a that's a, a little bit of a gauntlet. They're both one and one. Neither of those teams looked invincible, but they're definitely teams that you expect to be top five, and TSM is a team that you expect to be bottom five. So testing our overreactions, I think, will be really interesting when they have those matchups next week and and see if Boogie and Maple can continue the performance. Because the the funniest meme I had was saw was uh, Maple saw that he was playing against an all Korean team and like his programming was activated because back when he uh, was in the LMS on flash wolves, he would always beat T one. It felt like, so it, it is actually pretty feel good to have them go two Oh, because they're such a storied franchise, but I do want to see uh, if they can maintain it forward. I think it is, it's really cool that you can kind of, I know solo talked to Bopo today about like, is champion choices like is that a you choice or is that a team choice yeah i i do appreciate felt like a solo choice can. to me yeah yeah same but but like i love solo and i think it is really cool to have a top laner who like is actually a weak side top laner in terms mm. of it's not just that they're losing lane uh it, it's that they are drawing pressure you know they can withstand the pressure um and then additionally like Boogie Maple is something good that they can build on. Obviously, bot laning <laughs> needs work, <laughs> but then needed. once they yeah. got once they got out of lane, um, in particular, you already mentioned Chime in the in the TL series was really instrumental in terms of capitalizing on overextensions with uh, Ash Arrow. Okay, let's talk about CLG because they're they're two and zero. They smashed Dignitas and had a really close game against EG. I'd say the game today. Off the top of my head, they were down about 6,000 gold and facing uh, EG getting Dragon Soul when they were able to push them off, win the team fight, eventually move and get... Actually, I, I'm messing it up in my head, but they it wasn't like they won that team fight and turned the game around. That allowed them to hang no. around long enough to yeah. hit enough breakpoints on Cassiopeia, which was a rise counterpick, and for the Sivir to eventually outscale... Uh, but, and this is something I mentioned on broadcast. I put them seventh in our power rankings, uh, of anyone on the analyst desk, including the fan vote, no one put them above sixth. And in my 10 thoughts article, I wrote them in seventh, but actually had no real justifications for, because if you actually logic it out, they were better than seventh last split. Not everyone actually gets better every year as much as their propaganda would want you to believe. So just like they they should be good. Like they should actually be pretty good, but I still wasn't willing to pull the trigger. And they've always been that trap team where if you say they're good, they're bad. And if you say they're bad, they're good. So you're actually just cursed forever in predicting them. But that, they did feel cohesive to me. I liked the Palafox interview afterwards where he mentioned that he didn't think last year's CLG would have been able to win this game against EG. And I want to tell CLG fans, good job on week one. 
I'm not going to say that they're actually guaranteed to be top four, but that was actually, you know, not completely shocked, but I was definitely initially wrong in my power rankings. Oh, you already know my like theory of CLG, but I'll, I said this on broadcast was at Mm. the very end of the day. Um, And also just piggybacking off of what you said about the Powell Fox interview. First of all, it was, it was always great to talk to him, especially since we had a conversation together on asset day and we were just like, uh, I was oh, right. there yeah. to do some stuff. Yeah. We were just talking about mid lane picks because I was pulling a tape of Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while we were like retroing something in the back as draft was going, I know you were sitting next to me and laughing. Cause yeah. I was like, pick Cassidy and you won't. Pick uh, <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he was, he was like, this was not the greatest performance. I'll definitely swap things up for next time. Um, but the other interesting thing he said in that interview that I really thought was fascinating was he was like, yeah, we didn't have a honeymoon phase, actually. Like, mm. we kind of came in um, arguing. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought that was so interesting because I remember talking to Huhi in 2016 about CLG when he had started in the mid lane, right? Yeah. And it was like, after they, this was, I believe, right after they'd had their MSI successes when I interviewed him. And he, mm. he was talking about how, like, it's so much easier and more difficult to be, like, some things are so much easier and some things are much more difficult when you're on a team for a really long time and you mm. know these people for a really long time. Because, but he did say that one of the things that can come with time that's very interesting is that you can be a lot more argumentative and you can be a lot more direct. And so when Palpox was t- without like worrying that you're going to hurt someone's feelings, or if you do hurt someone's feelings, you've probably already done it before. So like you right. already know how that person communicates and like just knowing people and knowing how they receive information and knowing how they intake information and spending time in and out of these high pressure situations and also spending time in and out of scrims. Um, I think that is what a good team that actually stays together if they are improving, it's because they've overcome that hurdle, right? Where they can give very direct feedback to each other. So I thought that and the point you brought up with how, like he said, we wouldn't have won this game last year. And I think you can yeah. actually show, see our growth patience. from last Dead year to this year in, in this game. Yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting because obviously it was a very messy game from them. And they look like a slightly different team than last year in terms of play style, right? Like last year they were the three minute, 25 second first blood average Kings where we're pulling Palafox from mid, we're pulling contracts to Who's bot the lane, biggest we're diving difference? bot. Who's the biggest difference in terms of a different team? I almost want to say it's contracts. Like we were even, I think, I we think had like a contracts. contracts as a KDA player meme, like during the game, we're like, aha, everyone else is 010, he's 000. Like that never would have happened last year, but he was the last one on the team to die today. Yeah. And I think uh, I think he is being a lot more patient. I think some yeah. of it is the meta, but like of all teams, I remember when I went over like the picks. Was it you that said contracts or Mark that said contracts? I think it was you, right? For, Someone for said contracts for a lease. Oh, uh, yeah, that would have been Mark. I had a troll answer with Pope. Okay. Pope. Oh yeah, I forgot that. Okay, never mind. Because uh, I was like, oh, I want uh, to see who will play a lease. And contracts and blabber immediately came to mind for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I expected them to be playing those kind of lanes, right? Where it's like, we already know we have these laners that can do the pushing bot lanes. We'll do that. 
we'll put contracts on lease. We'll try to like smash, smash early. And that's not what this team no. has been doing at all. They, so they I think scaling. it's very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. What what I also find as a as a mild tie-in for this COG team is I think the last time they started the split super hot was because they're playing, they had all these Seraphine comps. Like Seraphine was broken uh, yeah. and Luger could play it and Poom could play it. And they had these giga death ball late game comps and they won. And we were trying to decide if it was because they are better or do they just have a really good meta read. And mm-hmm. I think they have a really good meta read again. And that shouldn't be a knock on them, but it mm-hmm. is something Bwipo brought up many times during the cast about early season teams and how a lot of times you're just going to get way more wins if right at the start of the year you just pick better late game champions. That's an oversimplification, but just have the better scaling. And COG absolutely had the better scaling in both of these games. And then if something does break your way because teams are playing more sloppy at the start of a a split, you're just going to win. So that is possibly a contributor to how they were able to win, but they have uh, C9 and Immortals next week, which is going to be really interesting. Do you have other stuff on COG or do you want to move to, to C9? I think that's pretty much it. Uh, just the, the play style change is actually the biggest the it's biggest be, difference for me. Yeah, that's going to be a really interesting thing to track. And like, I believe C9 COG is the first game of next week. So that's yeah, immediately that's immediately rehyped. I, I remember this is so long ago and there are actually no longer any players from those room hitting two rosters. But I have, I have such fond memories of like C9 COG games. They used to have such bangers for the longtime mm-hmm. LCS fans. They were always so competitive. So I hope we get another one. It was like, it was like this sneak rivalry. Like everyone was talking about COG TSM, but like I was like, no, just give me more COG C9. Like those games are always so wildly entertaining. So I don't know. I hope that happens again. C9, they uh, they rightfully, as fans of this podcast have a chip on their shoulder. I think when I did my power mm-hmm. ranking episode, I think I talked about them for like two minutes and they're like the defending champions and you only give them two minutes. And here the defending champions start two zero, uh, and we mm-hmm. put them third. We don't even put them at the top of the show, but they are still tied for first. They beat hundred thieves and golden guardians, both very convincingly fudge was player of the week, nearly unanimously, uh, over yep. 900 DPM with Cassante, three solo kills, super dominating. Diplex looked pretty good. I think the critics would point to his terrible CS he had in game two against Golden Guardians. Yeah. But Fudge in the post game said they called him top for a dive at level four, which didn't work. And then the wave got froze on him and their mid 2 2 loss. So they had no way of bailing him out, which I think is. One, really cool that Fudge was able to go to bat for him, and two, it's just a good explanation for what happened, so I'm willing to, to get that. And yeah, I, I, I'm i actually not surprised by C9. I was pretty bullish on them at the start of the year. I think I put them second in their power rankings, and to me, they look pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I... So the I'll say the only thing, because I was I, a little bit shakier on them. Mm. Um, with the defending champs angle, the super interesting thing about that is like they had the kind of the the ramp up right yeah um so if people were underestimating them i i'd have to assume that like that is why and then additionally i think this happened with c9 it also happened with eg a bit in my opinion but even more so c9 i think is like people were not talking about them because we had all these other like big storylines with like FlyQuest 
and what players they're bringing in, mm-hmm. and Hundred Thieves signing Bjergsen and Doublelift, and TL going like the full uh, Korean speaking roster and yeah. like promoting these two players have been on their academy team for a while. And it is weird. And I, I feel like C9 fans kind of rightfully are upset because they're like, why yeah. are you underestimating us? We are defending champs. They didn't change much about their roster outside of Diplex. And Diplex is really interesting pickup to me because in looking at the announcement video for him and then mm-hmm. also talking to Lore a bit about his performance in the LFL, I think there is kind of this aura of like untapped potential with him because mm. he was so hyped pre-debut mm. and then you know like it never really like panned out as as it was supposed to be and uh, and that's not to say that he was bad because that is not the case whatsoever mm. um he was on a team that won the coupe de france uh and was like he was on a very good vitality b team last year i believe he had the highest kda of all players, so not just mid laners, but like all players in the LFL summer regular season. Um, but there is, there was kind of always this aura of like, oh, we expected something like even more meteoric in terms of like your debut. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Laura said, yeah, she was like, I'm really rooting for him in the LCS because I want him to succeed i want to see that kind of like untapped potential that we always thought he had and then it was funny going back and looking at the video that they released in like signing diplex um outside of obviously the the monetary things uh jack did bring up like he was like we think that our system and c9 is like always kind of been about these systems is great for a player like this because we already Mm. have everything Mm -hmm. in place for him to succeed. Um, and, and Fudge was kind of an ambassador of that today on, on the desk, right? So it was cool. It was cool to see him play like pretty well across across both of their games. Um, and obviously, since that's the only piece they changed, they still have a phenomenal AD carry. Um, it's and then obviously like Fudge player of the week, like, yeah. Yes, abusing Cassante, but also, like, I think it's interesting to talk about how great Cassante is in the hands of pro players. But I do think, and I'm going to echo something that I I believe it was Fudge who said this on the broadcast, that there are answers to him, right? Mm. Like, there there are actually answers in yeah, the Yeah, he Jax. said he like, would play Jackson and Cassante. Like, he would just... Yeah, exactly. Side. And that, yeah, and that, like, play came down to, like, the, the play with tenacity yeah. uh, for, for so people know. A couple know. frames uh, the if he solo get kill. solo killed, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I also think that's, like, yes, Cassante is, like, also pretty broken in the hands <laughs> of pro players, obviously. Um, but I also think you saw that in the, and obviously this was a, a long time ago, um, but the first week of the LPL prior to the Lunar New Year break. Mm-hmm. I do I did think you saw a lot more top laners like finding answers for him. Yeah. Um you've seen it in LCK, even though he does, I think he's sitting now. It wasn't initially, but I want to say now he's at like a 60% win rate. I have to look that up though. So if it's wrong, it's it's around there. Cause I looked mm-hmm. it up earlier today and I might have forgotten. But um I, I do think there there are answers to Fudge's point. So I don't think it takes away from the monstrous performances that Fudge had in both of their games. 
I agree with, with that point because it's not a permanently banned champion. So basically what I have, and I'm not going to say LPL specifically, but across Games of Legends, which tracks like basically every competitive league, including uh, Challenger and Academy things, 70.6% presence, which is high, but that's like not immediately OP by Riot standards for presence. The win rate is actually 48.6% across all those games. The average CST at 15 is 0.1 positive. So he's just splitting lane. He's getting played a lot, but he is a generic bruiser top laner who can have these pop-off moments when you execute him properly. So that's just a little bit of context, even though I do think in the hands of the right player, he is overpowered. It's not like in the hands of any player, he's he's immediately carrying games. Uh, I wanted to touch on the C9 systems as well, because it gets memed a lot, but there is like, there actually is something to that. I talked about a little bit when C9 was able to win the split. They insulate. uh, I think especially like younger European players very well, because they are, are still a team that does the gaming house model. They're not a team that puts a player in an apartment and then says, come into the facility. Like their facility and house are one and the same. Um, they do kind of mandatory exercise in the morning. They have meals that everyone eats at the same time with the same food. So their nutrition is fairly on point and it's balanced with the workouts that they're doing. So it can just keep them on a, like they had a Navy SEAL design a lot of this program. Like it's almost a militaristic type program to try and find the success. So, uh, People are like hand wavy, say symptom systems, but like it is legitimately a very thoughtful system that they think creates a good balance for League of Legends players, which is why I was like, honestly, not stressed about Diplex. I don't know if he's going to be a world beater and if he's awful, then he will either grow to be better or they'll find someone else to kind of plug into the system because we know that team was was so close, but really curious to see how C9 continues to develop CLG and FlyQuest next week, which is probably like... TSM with EG and 100, CLG with C9 and IMT. C9 having CLG fly, probably the hardest schedule of the two. Yeah, really. Yeah. Because FlyQuest are the other team that just look phenomenal. Let's talk about them because, damn, they look the best. If you're just going off of a wow factor of how dominant a team looked, FlyQuest looked the best. Their Team Liquid game did look like an LCK game in the way they drafted and the way they played the early game. But then they absolutely steamrolled them because they were the scaling team comp that didn't give away any, uh, really any gold in the early game. So they just won what felt like for free. And then today they get first blood onto Prince's Ezreal when he kills Armut in a top lane bush. And he proceeds to just get 10 kills and hard carry the game. Uh, just wow. Like I... I didn't think it was going to come together this quickly, especially without Ayla there. And it is still best of one. So maybe there's going to be a honeymoon phase, but like if you literally just decide off of these two games, like if you could win an LCS championship after two weeks, I think it would be like almost unanimous. You obviously can't, but like everyone would say just based off the two games of data, FlyQuest looked incredibly strong. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for Prince and Vikla specifically, the, two players they did bring in from the LCK. Um, they both were such strong players over there. Like, mm. uh, I know you talked about it and a, and a ton of people have talked about this, um, including, I believe Prince himself has, has brought this up where it's like, no, I'm like, I'm coming here to win. Like yeah. this isn't the, he is in the prime of his career. Like Vikla mm-hmm. is in the prime of his career. He was just, 
Vikla was just promoted from KT Challengers last year. Uh, and then Prince has been on Live Sandbox for the entirety of 2021 mm -hmm. and 2022. And then previously he was in Challengers. Um, so like, these are not players who have like been around the LCK. Like they're both in the, in the prime of their careers. Like Prince was part of this really unexpected live sandbox team that kind of took a lot of people by surprise, uh, by last summer in finishing third in both the regular season and then the playoffs, uh, with a 13 and five record. And then they lost to eventual winners, Gen G, mm -hmm. um, and they also were another team. Like, I keep talking about this from a KT fan perspective because I obviously love KT, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But uh, they also narrowly lost to DRX in the regional finals, right? And they, I know, I'm sure you have heard Chronicler say this. I know I said it at the Worlds broadcast. This was the team that we, Prince's team was actually the team we were expecting to see mm. at Worlds last year mm. over DRX, mm. uh, which is really really interesting um and so he's so good and the kind of only knocks against him that he received was that and i know you and i've talked a lot about this when it comes to player of the game awards right with yeah. 80 carries specifically it's like well if he was given all the resources uh -huh. Then maybe we should give it to another player. The support like, or the well, jungler or the yeah, mid laner wrong yeah, or they like, gave him the herald. And it's kind of an overcorrection at times. I'm not saying mm -hmm. it's always this, mm -hmm. but now it's been become this really interesting argument of like how much are you trying to overcorrect for someone who's just really effing good and you give them resources and then they just take over a game like Prince did today, right? Um, yeah. so it's, it's like one of those things where, uh, me and myself, I used to be on the other side where I'm like, well, you know, they've got fed a lot of resources and, and I think so-and-so is better. And I've really been trying to focus on not using, like, not overcorrecting, I guess, against the flashy scoreline with someone yeah. like Prince, because he obviously delivers and carries games really hard if he's given those resources. Yeah. There was one moment even though the game was already decided, but uh, Vikla teleported behind on Silas, pushed two players out from under a turret, and Princess Ezreal had a W sitting on the enemy. And instead of just WQing, which would have been the fastest way to get damage, he like literally waited like half a second so that his Q would last hit. And it was kind of like a funny, oh, he kill stole it from the Silas, Vikla Silas who came in. But my argument was that that's, correct like that is being able to have that level of patience when the kill is going to be secured anyway and you can just make sure that you get the last hit on someone that is so mechanically strong like prince and can carry the game with ezreal is just the correct thing to do it makes it easier to funnel him gold and is actually him playing in a good way i had one other point about this where uh there's actually like there's a bit of a history of korean import pairs being really strong when they come oh. over to the lcs yeah and there's probably a lot of examples. This might be a deep dive later where it didn't work out. But like the all-time LCS Korean import pairs, I have Huni Rain over that everyone remember, remembers with Immortals when they came over from Fnatic. They went 17-1, and one, never made it over the hump. Berserker Summit last split was super insane for me. It looked for most of the split like they were just going to run away with it. Then they also flamed out in playoffs. 
So it's interesting. Like the starting point is so high with Prince and Vikla. Prince being on Live Sandbox, nearly making it to Worlds, losing to Genji and DRX. Vikla being on KT is the youngest of the two at 19 years old. They're so good now. I actually think the challenge is the maintenance. Uh, so yeah, I based on what I saw, um, eight and one, seven and two, nine and zero, first round robin. I think are like falling outside of those three. I'd be very surprised if they lose more than two games. But just it, I'm still working through the thought uh, how hard it is to maintain that skill as a pair of Korean imports. Where I really want to bring up uh, Spika actually, and where he fits in, because I think the other really interesting part about this. FlyQuest team for me mm. is actually Spika. Okay. Because Spika is someone who's kind of performance slash legacy has varied so wildly in community perception. Yeah. Based on what his team has done, right? Um, and I think he has been a consistently strong jungler throughout most of it with maybe like fewer highs than people were saying in the high points and a lot fewer lows than people were saying in the low points. Right. Mm. And other junglers have talked about how like your team in and of itself for the jungle position specifically is really hard to separate. Like it's the hardest probably of, of all of the positions. Yeah. Um, but having him have a team like this, where he has so many options to play around again is just really awesome. And I think the the main thing that I'm watching for this team is to see how his mid-jungle synergy develops with Vikla. Because mm. I think if this team is going to get over the hump and turn into like a super, super strong five-man unit, I think that has to happen. That's really interesting. Spika is a great character he's been in the pro system since TSM was a disaster. Like I remember he, his, his debut was literally in like a regional qualifier to try and get TSM to worlds. And one of the first years that they didn't make it to worlds is like a 17 year old jungler. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's going to be, they are instantly incredibly entertaining for me, which is, which is great when they took a team that was overperforming expectations last year with the Aframu Takui Johnson lineup, but they, they literally blew everything up. Like they completely rebuilt the roster and have immediately turned it into a contender. So really, really props to, to FlyQuest so far. And I look forward to seeing the rest of them. The, the rest of this, this podcast, we have hundred thieves and EG both went one, one. I don't want to go super in depth in, in either of these teams, more just kind of surface level stuff with them, but hundred thieves. I, I still don't necessarily know what to make of them. I thought mm-hmm. the, the thing that I have written down so far is the double lift actually looked better than I expected him to. Uh, the game where he got super picked on as the Varus, I thought he just had no chance. That was the... Who did they get destroyed by on day one? Yeah, it was, it was Cloud9. Yeah, Cloud9 yeah. just was able to completely take him out of the game. And then today they had a great team comp, uh, had a strong laning phase against Tactical and Fleshy as... Zeri Yumi and they were kind of able to run over the game. So 
two two wildly different like yes or no's and I, I I don't know how to place them I still think they'd be kind of inconsistent but just what are your like high level takeaways here super curious to see how this team like where they end up not in terms of standing because I expect them to be like fine and in, in terms of still finishing like within top four I think all of us on the desk said that we were not expecting them to kind of come out of the gate and look super, super dominant from the get-go. This mm-hmm. is a team that we are expecting to have take a little bit more time to come together because of the things you already mentioned about Doublelift, because they just promoted two rookies uh, mm-hmm. from the academy team. Um, but the really curious thing to me is like, where they're going to budget their resources. Because if you look at their first game, right, you have the Azir, the Azir support, which <laughs> I went over I went over this on broadcast. I know people think it's a meme, and I know people are going to blame the loss on the Azir support or whatever. Mm. It really didn't come down to that for me at all. Um, and I thought it was, again, the, the only other time I remembered seeing it was in Demacia Cup, when Wink played it, he lost both games. It was also then played as a counter to Heimer. Um, lost both games against BLG. So this this support pick does not have a good win rate. Mm. But in the arms race of like looking at, oh, we're going to out push you in bot. Well, guess what? Like, here's my trap card. Azir and Tyrodinger. Yeah, when, um, when T1 is playing Caitlyn's support, I think it's hard to say that Azir's support is like that far of a stretch that's going to yeah, and, and it and it all of these picks always depend on like who is playing them and do you win? Because if mm-hmm. Carrie is playing it, obviously like we're going to be like, wow, Caitlyn's support. That's so cool. Carrie is awesome. And with Busio, who is a NA rookie, yeah. the only other support <laughs> who's played this is IG Wink, who used to used to not play support by the way um like it's it's one of those things where you're like okay uh sure Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and so so even in trying to cover like why this would show up in the bot lane in this bot lane arms push race that we're having yeah um is that it was night and day in game two where it's like zeri yumi Double lift is it, we're gonna get back give to basics. Yeah. We're gonna play like uh, a little bit more, I think, like a quote unquote stereotypical double lift team, or like what people have in their minds mm. is like a double lift team. Um, and I, I'm by the way, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying I have no idea what this play style of this team is going to be, and uh, I. I'm also very curious to see where tenacity fits in. Cause I know you and I have talked a lot behind mm. the scenes about tenacity and kind of the struggle that a lot of North American tops specifically have when they come up from Academy and they've been known as carry players and they've been given a lot of resources and a lot of space yeah. to move. And in particular tenacity, who I think could have come to LCS last year and kind of worked out some kinks in his play um, but then didn't end up doing that because someday ended up performing so, so well. Uh, and then he he went back down to Academy. Was that, like, he, on this team, if they're, if they're going to be playing around double lift, he's not going to get, be the resource, like, carry. Um, and he ended up playing the Reactin, which was a very good lane pick, by the way. I'm not saying that, like, oh, he didn't get a good pick because, like, obviously he did. 
Um, and I thought his initiation on Renekton was was kind of interesting. I was wondering, like, if he was making those calls, if someone else on the team was making those calls. Right, is it someone just saying, did, go, 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 and he just has to. Yeah, exactly. I think the team did a good job, like, capitalizing on the engages that he made, so it didn't end up mattering that he died. Uh, I actually called this on broadcast, too. Like, I thought it was a good thing. I think it seems like he's working really well with the team. But after week one, I, like, still have no idea how this team is going to play. Mm. I you know, and like the the fact that closer also was kind of he wasn't invisible, but he was very muted compared to what I have in my mind of the type of jungler that closer can be and the mm. type of jungler we've seen him be in the past. Yeah, that top lane point, it's so interesting actually, and it almost makes me want to go deeper in it because there's the first thing that actually came to my mind was this old Monte Cristo tweet from like 2016 where he, I, I forget who he was talking about. It was probably Hanser. He was like, I want to see how this player survives in the Korean, like when he faces the Korean tops of the LCS sort of thing. But there is like a level of the difference between the top laners that you face in Academy and the top laners you face in the LCS might be a bigger jump than any other role. Just because Impact, like Impact and Someday have just lived in the LCS for like six years. So if you can't match up against those two guys, you generally struggle. And it's even harder to match up against these two guys if you're trying to play a carry style. I need to double check this because even now it's just like running through my head. I'm like, okay, Licorice was one. Okay, he actually won an LCS title. Fudge is another guy who came up. Okay, he just won an LCS title. So like it's not well, like on no C9, one Yeah, it's it's not like no one can win. Uh no one who's not on C9 can win. Anyway, there, there's something like there's something here that I that I the do C9 want to dive system, into. More. Jen. Yeah, is it the system? The C9 that do it? system. Yeah, that's that's definitely something for later because I don't currently have the research to have a good discussion on this, but there's there's plenty to talk about later. Okay, EG. Uh they're one one. They lost a close game against CLG. I think they'll be fine. I think JoJo Pune underperformed. FBI looked really good in lane. Someday was a little hit or miss. We'll see how much they end up missing impact. I just don't feel like I have meaningful takes that will give me more information. It's just like, this is about what I expected, and there's still too many unknowns. Yeah, I mean, like, the the first game they won, it looked shaky because, you know, JoJo had a, had a pretty rough... That was a rough performance. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I mean, the kind of the good that we've seen from this team thus far is that um, they, in in having uh, FBI and Vulcan and Lane, really does allow them to play around the push in Lane um, and, and focus a little bit more on Lane dominance, which in this specific meta is so, so important, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's actually really rare that you can kind of chill in lane or even die and not mm. have it be, like, immediately punished. Like, you lose the push, you lose bot side pressure, and because of the nature of the 2v2s that we're seeing in bot lane, you're never going to be able to, like, push out again, right? Like, you're going to have a really, really rough time from mm -hmm. that point on. Um, so I think that is an interesting thing to yeah. call out about this this EG team. Um, but then, yeah, there were they have some kinks. They have some kinks to work out. Like you said, I think they'll be fine. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I'm not super worried about them. Um, 
I think there are definitely moments of the CLG game that they for sure want back. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I'm not like of all teams in the LCS, like CLG are a good team. Like I, I know you and I already talked about them <laughs> in their in their section, but like, be, you know, we underestimate them a lot. I think, yep. and they keep showing us up. Um, but like, there's no there's. <laughs> There's no shame in losing to CLG. And also, I mean, the the way they lost is very mm. heartbreaking. Yeah, there's especially no shame in losing to CLG in that way. They, <laughs> EG had a more early game comp. They developed a large lead. They got three or four dragons. A few things went wrong and they lost. Yeah. The, I, yeah. The skeptic no, in go. me would say that they almost lost the first game, but won that one. So it's 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 very much a 50-50 week for them. What were you going to say? Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say a, a random piggyback point since we've had kind of the battle of like early game versus scaling. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially around the Elise pick. I feel like people either really like seeing her back or like really, really hate her because as I brought up just using Boogie's pathing as an example, like she is awesome to watch because she can be flashy but she also is very one-dimensional right mm. you're like clearing two camps and you're going bot because your bot is pushing and then if you don't get the kill then you're going back in a minute <laughs> and then you're going back in another minute um and she falls off really really hard especially compared to like a, a sejuani or um a maokai so what do you think of this kind of early versus late game tug of war that we kind of have been seeing in the current meta? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it transitions into the TL02 point that we're going to touch on because TL Oof. has picked better early game. Both games got a very minor advantage and then felt like they kind of didn't know what to do on stage. Um, so I am definitely on the side at the moment that scaling is how you get victories. Uh, <laughs> the Elise in the TSM versus Immortals game, I don't even necessarily think they sacrificed scaling overall because they were up mm -hmm. against a Draven Pike bot lane. And I think their 5v5 with the Elise was still better than the 5v5 for TSM. So if I went game by game of the 10... I feel like scaling probably won like eight of them this this week. And I do think in terms of if the goal is to generate victories, it's almost a no-brainer. That's what you should do really in the season. But I do believe that the teams that are like trying to be good teams and feel like they have more confidence and have things that work better in scrims, they're going to trend more towards early game team comps. So uh, that's, I guess that's my answer to the question. And uh what do you think about TL's zero two before I go on my my sad rant? I'm gonna bring up a play that you and I were kind of hyper focused on um, in the FlyQuest game, actually, because we were talking about like hmm. when did they lose pressure from their bot lane, right? Like we were like the the two of us. It, it was like we turn we turned away from the game for like two seconds to respond to something that someone else is saying or a producer is saying except for the next segment. And we we're like, oh, when did this happen? Right. Mm. And at and I'm not saying this is why TL lost the game. I'm just using this as a point of like 
to your point, when you are doing something that requires strong early game and like you are just trying to smash the early game, you have some late game scaling options in terms of the the Syndra and the the Jax. And even I will say this, Lucian Nami is not bad late. It's yeah. just not as good as Zeri Lulu. I'll just, in I'll this just walk, specific I'll walk aspect. through the play in the FlyQuest TL game. It was about eight minutes thirty seconds. The Lucianami bot lane and the Syndra from Team Liquid mm-hmm. all recalled at the same time. And it is a set play, but you don't see it that often. But from base, the bottom lane deployed mid and the mid lane deployed bot. Mm-hmm. However, when FlyQuest reset, they just sent everyone to Rift Herald. So the Syndra was stuck yep. alone and bot with no TP and they lose Rift Herald. That's that's the play. But if you if you play it in a different way and you kind of deploy everyone mid lane or just wait until a team shows and decide who goes bot lane. Like the play changes. I think it was just a little bit of a misprediction by team liquid, but it massively impacted the game because Syndra only got two plates bottom. They lose Rift Herald and the momentum definitely swung in FlyQuest favor. Yeah. Not pinning this on any one TL player. I'm not even saying this is why they lost the game. I'm just saying it's something that you and I immediately noticed because with a composition like this, your goal is to snowball as quickly and as hard as possible. And you're trying to like push those advantages and pressure those advantages so much. And at this point in the game, actually FlyQuest has a 258 gold lead at at least at 824. I pulled up the VOD. Um, And right now I'm looking at like Pioshek clearing Mm. out uh, a FlyQuest pink in the top side round brush. And you see that the thought process is there, but the timing is slightly off, right? Because already FlyQuest's bot lane is barreling up mid to match. And they know exactly where Pioshek is, and they know that he's going to go to the Herald. So again, I'm not saying that this is why TL lost. I don't think it was. Right. I'm just saying that when you are really relying on like an early game snowball, the reason why the best teams in the world can execute this at such a high level is because they get these specific timings down. Like, when are you at Herald? Like, how long is it taking you to get there? What are your lane assignments going in? And like, what information does your opponent have when you're doing it? Because I'm not even saying what they're doing is right or wrong. Mm. I'm just saying that their timing was just off enough that this play actually cost them, in my opinion, more than it got them. Mm. Yeah, my, I guess my excuse for why they would be 0-2, not that I need to, to, to give them excuses, is uh, I've seen this a lot where... You can do certain things in scrims, and I've heard they're a very mm-hmm. good scrim team that don't translate very organically on stage. And if I look specifically at their composition today, they had Nar top lane, Sejuani jungle, Akali mid, and Lucianami bot. So the only person who can actually engage is the Sejuani, and it's fairly easy to avoid, especially if you have an enchanter on your side or any level of mobility. Um, however... You can see Yon and Core are very good in lane. We know Summit applies an insane amount of pressure and is extremely good at trading. So I imagine if they run that in a scrim, at 1330, instead of Summit being 0-0-0 with three plates, he's like 4-0. Because other top laners, when they scrim, 
don't decide to just twiddle their thumbs under their turret for 13 minutes. Like that's actually not how people enjoy scrimming. So he is taking over the game. Uh, after the bottom lane gets the kill, if you're in a scrim with Lushinami, the opponent bottom lane doesn't then just turret hug for 13 minutes. They will try and make an all-in play to get back in it. And you're probably like 3-0 and in bot lane by the time the third dragon comes around. So your goal lead actually ends up being like off of these micro advantages you gain in early game that TL was able to do on stage that I think they're doing in scrims. A 1.5,000 gold lead is what happens in LCS. A 4.5,000 gold lead is what happens in scrims. But that team comp didn't have tools to accelerate the game properly. And they didn't know how to push their advantage properly if the other team isn't coming back into them. Um, Mm. That's at least the read that I saw. That doesn't leave them an easy solution. I think, depressingly, against Immortals and against Golden Guardians, they're going to pick a lot of scaling. (laughs) <laughs> because they do, they cannot, I feel like, that org with their expectations and the way that they think cannot start 0-4. They cannot start 1-3. and 3. Yeah. They are going to start 2-2 two and two in their heads, so they're going to do whatever they can to secure that, and I think that's that's going to be scaling, and I think it's probably going to work, but it's not going to be, you know, amazing for them long-term. Yeah. I mean, I think another thing that I want to point out that just piggybacks off of what you said, just looking at, this team comp and like the ending score lines is that there were attempts at playmaking where it would just seem like once again like the the timing was off yeah right like summit was really reaching for that like fat gnarl and again i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not blaming this loss on anyone i'm just saying if your if your team is is synchronized some of those plays not all of them i still think the one in the the one in the Drake hit was a little rough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of those plays end up working out, right? Like, e- even with the overextensions, even with all of the other stuff, like, this bot lane was doing really, really well. This can work out if they are on the same page about their timings and then in team fights about how they're going to approach the fight or, like, when someone, like, what is the go button, right? Like, is it Pioshik's ult? Is it summit flash gnarl thing mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. um i think that was also present and i don't know if to your point if that ties into scrims where they just got so far ahead that team fighting either was it's like trivial because the, yeah, yeah like team fighting was trivial either because they were so far ahead or the scrim was ended before the the game concluded because they were so far ahead that it's like okay you know what we practice what we want to practice um i don't know that's all speculation but i'm just saying a lot of the the way you can get better at team fighting is actually like playing the game entirely through um even if your opponent is grooming and making mistakes because you'll at least get your own timings down yeah and the last thing i'd say is uh I need to have, and people need to have a reasonable expectations of Piosik. Because mm-hmm. it's very easy to look at the resume and be like, world champion jungler joins Team Liquid. But even his world final was relatively rough. He was probably the, he would have been the scapegoat had they not been able to win that final game against T1. He spent most of the summer split and even some of the playoffs like sharing time with another jungler on DRX. So he is still like, 
he deserves credit for winning the world championship. Like that's something so few players achieve, but uh, he looked pretty rough this week. Like he didn't really pull off successful ganks and wasn't able to find the same page with the rest of the team. So uh, probably of the 10 teams, expectations versus result, this was the biggest negative drop for me. I was yeah, expecting like a two zero with their with their. Uh, well, I actually was expecting a two. I thought they'd even be FlyQuest, so I was very off. I think I said, actually, no, I did pick TL. Um, All right, <laughs> I did pick TL versus FlyQuest. Uh, I forgot about that because we didn't have to actually submit predictions mm. for that, but we did anyway in case we we're going to pull them up. Um, yeah, I think with Pioshek, he's obviously a player that's like I absolutely love, but I also think that people should temper their expectations until he gets used to this team. Mm. The one thing I will say is that he has like, he seems to have, and I know he's talked about his own like self-confidence issues. Um, He seems to have this kind of weird unbreakable mental where he like always comes back Mm. and tries to improve, which I think is very cool. And I think it's something that should be called out because He's obviously someone who's had a lot of highs in his career, most yeah. recently a world championship win. He's had a lot of lows, too. Like, he's had a lot of lows. He's borne the brunt of a lot of online criticism for, for his team doing poorly. Um, as as recently as at the world championship, we weren't sure if he was going to be starting or if Juhan was going to be starting yeah. for DRX. Yeah. So I think, like, this is... The, if there's one like positive thing I can say actually about Piostic in this kind of environment is that I do think he bounces back very well because he has had so many of these really lows, uh, low lows in his career and he's always managed to come back from them. And I think that's a very admirable thing because like I wouldn't have that kind of mental to be honest. <laughs> it's the the mind you have to have to be a pro player. That's the thing. Yeah. You're just going to have to eat so much crap and be able to bounce back from it. Uh, that that does it for the things on my list. Do you have anything final that you feel like you missed that you want to call out before we wrap up? I mean, I think the the another big surprise to me, we kind of already touched upon FlyQuest in and of itself, but FlyQuest is another team that I wasn't sure where they were going to end up because I was expecting them to take a little bit of time to mm. gel. So to see them come out and be so dominant um, is very, very cool. And they don't even have their starting support. Like, we haven't even talked about Ayla because, unfortunately, he's been having some visa issues to get into the U.S. So yeah, um, the fact that they already look this good is really cool and also very scary for uh, all the other LCS teams in the league. Completely agree. FlyQuest... There's that, uh, there's a little bet we made where I said C9 was going to start above FlyQuest. Technically still totally fine. That bet's still totally fine. Everyone's 2-0, but I agree. They look absolutely terrifying. Okay. Thanks, Emily, for joining once again. Thank you, everybody, for watching. 58 minutes, almost 59 minutes in. Week one is in the books. We'll see you next time for week two.